Welcome back, friends, philosophers, and authors to this Wild Isle writing cast. I am very excited to have with me Timo Burnham. How are you doing, Timo? I'm doing good. Excellent to hear. For those of you who don't know, uh, Timo is a fellow author, like many of our guests here on this podcast. Um, he is the author of The Black Saint, uh, and you just released a new book. What What's the title of your new book, Timo? Uh, the new book is Dawn of the Black Sun. Um, the fact that both of those books have black in the title was basically just an accident. No relation. So it's, it's not a sequel then. It is not. No, it's, this is another, it's the start of a new series, completely different world, different characters. Excellent. So you've got two jumping off points. Uh, and Timo, uh, I, I think you have other work out there as well. Um, yeah, I do have a couple of stories on Kindle Vela, which is like the Amazon's, um, what do you call it? Uh, serialized fiction, I guess, is what they call it. So you would read like episode by episode, and you you pay tokens to read episodes. Is I don't I don't know what what the price of a certain amount of tokens is, but that's yeah, the way the that title works. Of, what's the title of your work on there? Um, uh, let's see. There is. Look at it. <laughs> um I've got uh a touch of madness is like a gothic horror it's not really a horror story there's like horror elements it's more of like a mystery adventure with some horror um and then there's the ghost of Zovis 4 is Kind of a thriller horror. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if it doesn't have like super strong horror, but there's definitely some horror there as well. And then uh, uh, the battle for Pilgrim's Fall, which is kind of like um, uh, I'm not sure what you'd describe it. It's kind of an action adventure too. It's like people in exosuits fighting aliens um, oh that's different you have like a really broad range of uh like genres and settings that you that you write in i didn't actually know how broad it was it's excellent yeah yeah my i i've been using kindle vela really kind of as like a, an experimentation thing so these stories that i put on there i mean i you know i tried hard obviously when i was writing them i wasn't slacking off or anything but it was really just kind of, I had an idea, I wrote the story, these stories are shorter, they're not um, like, you know, 100,000 words or anything. Um, and I just kind of, um, partially get to just practice writing, and I also to kind of explore like side ideas that I had for stories, so. Um, Excellent. So I'm not trying to underspell them, but. <laughs> Uh, you know, they're, they're definitely a lot more experimental, maybe a little bit rougher around the edges than, than my novels. No, I'm sure they're, I'm sure they're great. Uh, so for all you readers out there, check out Timo's work while you can. 
Um, also, because I forgot to mention b before uh, I dove into, into Timo's background, um, if while you're out there looking for Timo's work, you could also look for my work uh, over at wildislelit.com. Uh, I've got a fantasy novel out, uh, Smoke Broken. Uh, you can read or listen to the first chapter on my website, again, wildislelit.com, uh, Lord of the Black Flame. Uh, it's a kind of, it's a fantasy setting story that reads like a cross between a Western and a literary novel. Um, lots of psychedelic mushrooms and animated skeletons and occult magic and uh, occult alchemy and, and nonsense like that. It's, it's, a, it's a great deal of fun. Also, while you're there, over at wildislelit.com, you can check out my editing service, the Wild Isle Style Guide, if you want to sharpen your ability to write quality prose hearkening back to both old classic works of literature uh, or even stuff from the pulp era um, to get out of the uh, what I call the hyper sanitized writing forms of modernity where everything is hyper minimalist. Um, so you can find that over at wildlit.com uh, slash editing. Uh, anywhere else I want to send you, you can listen to the rest of the podcast there. Um, and if you're listening to this, you might be hearing this on YouTube. You can find this podcast on my website as well, as well as on, I think, Apple Podcasts and Spotify and whatever Google does. Uh, when, I, when I put my RSS into Google, it was, it was odd. So I don't know if there's a particular Android app. That doesn't matter um, because we need to get into today's subject matter. So look up my stuff. Look up Timo's stuff after you listen to us talk about a potentially untapped audience. Um, this is a question prompted by uh, another guest of the podcast and fellow friend and author, Matt Dawson. And it's it, really, it was a position, but we're going to frame it as a question. Are men an underserved audience when it comes to written fiction? What do you think, Timo? Do you, just from, from the face of it, that question, are men an underserved audience when it comes to written fiction? Um, my answer would be yes, with a little bit of a, I guess, caveat. Um, All right. uh, I, I, but the caveat is that I think that there are a lot of guys that like written fiction, so I'm not trying to say that there aren't, but I think of the choices of entertainment that you could choose, men tend to like reading the least um just on average um but having said that i do think that still um a lot of like fiction writing is not necessarily trying very hard to write stories that guys would really like um with a few exceptions of probably what i would say maybe lit rpg and I guess the harem books, those kind of things, are specifically <laughs> trying to go after guys. Yeah, I think they are. Um, so, okay, so let me see if I can summarize this, and you tell me if you think this sounds right. So it is the case that men are underserved um, in terms of the plethora of written fiction out there, but it is also the case that the demand is not as high as uh, the demand for fiction uh, from other demographics. Would you think that that's a, a fair way to summarize what you just pointed out there? Yeah. Yeah, that's basically what I said. Yeah. And uh, and you touched on uh, another element, um, and it's like, what is it really that 
men like to read and uh, what is it that, let's say, is being served that isn't that, right? So because the question is like, okay, well, if men aren't being served properly, um, probably because there's a low market demand, so there's not as much money in it and success and prestige available for as many people to to serve whatever it is that men like. What is it that isn't um, being put out in the market in such a way as it could be, right? You mentioned like the harem anime and the lit RPGs. And actually, I've seen a lot of those. So those are kind of out there. And you could say that those are in demand. But what else? What else is it that is not being served to men, perhaps as a consequence of the perceived or real low-esque demand? Um... I think it's just, it's kind of hard to uh, like concretely yeah. answer this. I would say, um, I guess as a starting point, in my opinion, a lot of fiction, especially in the fantasy realm, but even some in sci-fi is very, I guess, feminized for lack of a better word. And so that's going to be, um, I would think, appeal more to female readers and less to male readers. And so male readers reading that are just probably going to be kind of bored. And they'll be like, wow, this is boring. I want to go do something else. Um, yeah. You know, there's a, there's a technique we should use here, right? And I think you just essentially started moving in that direction naturally. Um, it is kind of hard to pin down what it is like you just like what do men like and it's like well a lot of things like that doesn't help but what might be what is an easier question to answer is what is it that men typically don't like like what is it that men get bored with in particular and then we could look at what isn't that to come back to our original answer and a little bit more clarity i think right so um you know you're you're, you're a man i'm a man we pick up a book at the bookstore uh, what is it that when we pick it up is going to let's say, shoot down our interest. We can perhaps even just start with certain settings or certain genres that might shoot down our interest um, and then develop particular plot types and things from there. But yeah, so what is it? What is it that you pick up, you're a man, you look at this and think, I don't want to read this. Um, there's a couple things that I, I would think of, I'm trying to think if that's be my personal preference or if it's because I'm a guy that I don't like as much. Um, I think guys generally are going to be a lot more, bore, more bored with a book that spends a lot of time on the characters, meaning like you spend a lot of time sort of getting to see who the characters are, what they're like, what, what their dislikes are you know, maybe what their day-to-day -day life is. Um, generally, guys are going to be bored, like, picking up a story, and they read the whole first chapter, and it feels like nothing really happened, except they learned a lot about a lot about this person. Um, I think what guys do find way more interesting is things happening in the story, not not the character, you know, going to the store to get groceries, but, you know, some event happens... It's serious, it's big, it has consequences. 
that I think for for most guys that's going to immediately get their attention. Uh, yeah. So essentially, it's, it's anything that relates to the plot, because the plot is where all the tension is, right? It's where the conflict of the story is. Um, so if we have characterization that relates to that plot, that's okay because it's moving the plot, it's moving the action, it's more dynamic. Uh, it it is either increasing tension or spending tension through action. Whereas if we have something like um, the interpersonal drama between a couple of characters that may or may not ultimately, I shouldn't say may or may not, I should say that does not directly affect the plot, right? Because if you have character characterization and character uh, relationship development in your story and it doesn't relate to the plot at all, that's just bad writing. But you can have it be very indirect, where it's like this character's relationship to this person to this person and these things ultimately affect this thing over here that then moves the plot later, right? Um, I think that's perhaps the difference that we're looking at. Um, so does that sound right? Where we have, let's say, perhaps the effeminate focus is the focus on relationships, uh, character relationships, and then those only secondary effects affecting the plot, whereas the more masculine, let's say, story, it's always obviously going to still have those that character development and that characterization, but it's more plot-focused. I think that's fair? Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I think of it kind of just as that one of the main sort of female-male differences is the, the things-people uh, distinction, where women are much more interested in anything that has to do with people and relationships and men are more interested in things so um and those things can be um like they could be like a car but i think that they can also be like a big um event happening in the world like a rocket getting launched to mars or something right that, that's not a person that's a that's a thing it's an event but I think guys find that very interesting. Um, not that I think girls are like, they're uninterested in that, but they are much more interested in um, the the people involved, maybe. Um, that kind of thing. And so I, I, I think of, you kind of have like a character-driven or plot-driven story working the same way. Whereas when it's very, when there's, the plot is moving along, things are happening, you're sort of wanting to know, you know, what are the consequences of the these uh, plot beats, what are the, what's going to happen next. Um, that's more interesting for a guy, whereas I think a lot of girls, they like stories that they move slow, you really feel like you're, you're almost befriending the characters maybe and you, you know you're getting to learn all this stuff about them a lot of it not particularly important to the plot but it's because that sort of makes them the characters feel much fuller um and so yeah because they're because they have this much stronger interest in people and relationships that that's much more interesting for um women whereas for guys you know, a certain amount of that, I think, is necessary because you need to care about characters, even if it's plot-driven. But you only want so much of that. And if you do more than, than a certain amount, guys start to get bored. 
Yeah, the way um, I might word it is that uh, men are interested in objects. Women are interested primarily in subjects, right? So like uh, if you think we're hunter-gatherers and you're like a team of guys, well, what are you doing? We're going to take these spears, like a whole bunch, and we're going to throw these spears, which are objects, into that mammoth over there, which is also an object. And we care not really so much about how the mammoth feels. We don't really primarily care how each other feel. We just really, really care that we scare the mammoth off the cliff by chucking the spears at it. So if it goes off the cliff, like if these objects hit that object to make that object move itself off that other object, and then it turns itself from a mammoth into lots of meat and blubber, we're happy, right? Like that's the uh, perhaps the archetypal way um, the the male brain and interests are aligned. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're a female in a hunter-gatherer society, chances are you're not out hunting the mammoth because if you die, that's one less producer, and it uh, you know it, you can you can have one guy have a whole bunch of kids at the same time, but you cannot have one woman have a whole bunch of kids at the same time. So your tribe dies out, and that's not good. So you got to stay at home. Well, who's over at home and in the in the tribe? It's going to be all the other women. And so you care, you're more focused on navigating a social space where you have to watch out for, um, let's say, who, you know, who's your ally, who's going to betray you, who's the backstabber, who's trying to steal your husband, um, you know, who is, who's talking uh, shit on you behind your back, that kind of thing, right? So that's the subjectivity. Um, and you'll notice I, I use the word primary there. And the reason why I used it, I'm stealing this from Michael Malice, who stole it from somebody else. It's in this book that's been out for years now, The New Right. It has nothing to do with politics, what I'm about to say, but I just wanted to give credit where credit was due. And that's it, that is, if you have a hierarchy of values, something could be really high up on your hierarchy of values, but if its position makes it essentially where it gets uh, passed by, as long as something else that's very prevalent is there, you almost never see it. So the example he used is like, okay, if you've got like four favorite flavors of ice cream, let's say chocolate's your favorite, and then you know, raspberry, then vanilla, and then pistachio. But let's say that you eat chocolate ice cream 70% of the time, you eat um, raspberry ice cream 20% of the time, you eat vanilla ice cream, uh, what's left, 8% of the time, and then you eat pistachio 2%. It's still number four and is way higher than a bunch of other things, but it almost never happens, right? And so that kind of explains how, you know, both men and women are interested in subjects and objects, right? You're, if you're the dude out hunting with your buddies, um, you do care that all the other men don't hate you so much that they're going to fake an accident so the mammoth kills you while you're out on the hunt just to get rid of you. Like, so you do care about the social dynamics in that way. And if you're a woman back, you know, in the in the tribe, you do care about the snake that might come and bite you or any other predators that would be lurking about or enemy tribesmen, something like that. Like you care about objects still, but it's just not as primary on one's um, list of hierarchies. And that really fits into what you've described where, yeah, you can have characterization, but it, it's got to relate to the plot pretty directly or else um, it's just not of primary interest. Um, I could go on and on about um, what's it called mirror neurons. I, I saw while I was doing some research for this, but I won't do that uh, because I wanted to ask you, given our conversation about what women like and what men like, and whether men and women are not really women, but if men are underserved in terms of fiction, um, that kind of 
makes me wonder like who who is it really that you see as your audience as an author and uh, do you find that your your own work caters um, primarily to uh, the underserved audience are you one of the few servers out there um, serving like a, ma a male focused audience um I I think I am and that's based off of I okay, two things one the feedback I've gotten from the guys who have read my books seems to be that they really liked it um and the other is that I am trying to write books that I would like to read and I have what I would consider pretty specific pretty male tastes in the type of books. Um, so, and I think that a lot of that is fast-paced, short-er books that focus on um, action and big mysteries and characters um becoming more competent in some area usually yeah i think with the black saint was definitely like a, it was a hero's journey it was like it was really a hero's journey right um you know he had to not be this soft like you know uh just i want to say disenfranchised no well disenfranchised is not the right word right but from a, a shame noble house and trained um into the the black saint that's on the cover with his um he does have the double daggers like on the cover uh right i just want to make sure i remember it. it's been a while since i've read it i don't want to get details of your book wrong uh yeah he's got the the daggers on the cover yep yeah um so i definitely uh you know, I'd, I'd say that's the case, right? So we're dealing with, you know, fast paced. We're dealing with something that isn't necessarily dragging on and on and on because you can't really, right? Like uh, you probably notice this when you're writing um, essentially anything with a lot of quick pacing and action. You you can't extend those scenes on that long. Like you, there's a point where or you tell me if this is the case, because certainly this is the case with me. And I do really like my action scenes. Um, but I find that if I if I keep going because I'm, you know, because this isn't like uh, it's not like a movie. Right. When you're writing, you're writing out these paragraphs, you're having to decide what you're going to describe and you're having to um, put in significance into every action that happens because, um, you know, there's tons and tons and tons of stuff when you just when you write out a scene that you don't describe. Like if you really think about it, you mostly ignore everything and what you're putting on the page is what is significant and you can't do that for very long at least my experience before even as an author i become exhausted writing about it and i know if i'm a reader and a, an action scene drags like you, you, do you get that experience like if it just goes too long it starts to drag uh like when i'm reading or when i'm writing either either um so you can answer uh, either one or both of those questions um yeah, I mean, I get the feeling a lot more when writing, but that's, I think that's an actual incorrect perception, like, because I've been working on a scene for like three hours, doesn't mean that when someone reads that scene, it's going to take them a long time to read. It's just because I've been going slow. So, um, but I would say you definitely can. I think 
with action you you always want to try to remember like it's about the people doing the action it's not generally about the action so you could have like a really cool fight scene but if it's two characters that the reader has no idea who they are they're probably going to be bored unless they just really like reading about action scenes which most people don't even if even guys you know the the sort of at least knowing who the characters are or having some understanding will go a long way towards making um the action scene not feel like it's just you know yeah. another clash of swords for the 10th time or whatever yeah spectacle um, for the sake of it but yeah i think it, it's going to depend though on what you what you what you're going for so you might want to write a very long action scene because you want the reader to feel like this character has been fighting for like hours and hours and hours and it is dragging on and so maybe you do actually want your scene to go really long because that's what you want the reader to feel like but if that's not what you're trying to do, then yeah, I think you should you should generally think about maybe cutting it down if it feels like it's long. Yeah, and that probably lends to the the interest in shorter works as a as a whole, right? Because yeah, I, I've done that the long thing, not with a fight scene, but um I have a scene in my own novel where they're cut they're basically just doing some forestry to cut a path so they can pull a wagon through some woods because uh, it's got their provisions on it and i wanted i wanted the reader to really feel like this was a slog so i think it goes on for like a couple pages of just the the lengthy process in in fine detail um and that's kind of a slow action scene like they're doing action they're doing manly work right like they're like cutting out shrubs and hacking through um these like gunk covered plants uh and it's hard work they got big blisters on their hands and everything um a lot of experience cutting down trees uh well not a lot but i had some so i knew what it felt like but yeah you can't you can't do that over and over and over again right you can only really get away with that maybe a couple times um so that does lend to the difference in length of works and yeah i would say that you do definitely see in that way you mentioned at the beginning in a feminization because when you see these massive tome books typically they are very very um focused on character drama right like if um and he gets a lot of flack among the the listeners um but you know before i ever started writing i was a big fan of george r r martin but like the reality of those books was that the reason they're so gigantic is that they are um how did uh captain captain by the way is is michael h uh i don't use his last name but his name is michael and he's been on the podcast a couple of times and you know he described it as like medieval mafia uh family um crime drama which is really what it is but that's why those books are so thick right because when you're dealing with um continual interpersonal drama you don't have that same you don't have that same limitation of having to know okay, when can I put my foot on the gas? When do I have to slow down so the reader can, can get a break, build some more tension, put my foot back on the gas so they can get excited again, and then like pull back so they have a time to catch their breath, and then pacing that out um, in these short bursts rather than you, know, you have this slow, lingering dialogue. Uh, but that does beg the question, um, you know, given, given that we're working in a, a literary form, why 
I was going to ask, why is it that we would target men as an audience? Uh, I think you've kind of already answered this question, but I'll, I'll, I'll see if I'll let you answer it again, if that's the case. Like, why? Like, why are we doing this? Why, why serve a, um, an audience that, that whose interests are not as well facilitated by the medium, if you will? Um, I mean, I think generally more people would enjoy reading fiction, um, reading novels, than, than they realize. Like, what I mean is I think that there are a lot of guys out there who have never read, you know, fantasy or science fiction novels who would enjoy, would very much enjoy reading one, you know, assuming that you gave them the right one. Um, and so, I mean, I, I just think there's, I think there are, there's a decent number of people and specifically guys who, you know, who don't know that they would enjoy reading, you know, science fiction fantasy. And yeah, uh, um, I think delivering books, you know, that specifically are aiming to, you know, be entertaining for guys <laughs> is going to make it a lot easier to convince these people of that than, you know, trying to give them like a gigantic, you know, family drama, you know, court uh, fantasy story. No, you, you're, you're probably right. Um, you know, I'm looking, I have this like gigantic list of statistics. And actually, um, when we're looking, there is a decent chunk of of male readers it's like it's less than the female um and but it's it's not non-existent um it, it's 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 probably like you know two-thirds women one-third men type of deal uh and in fiction non-fiction i think it skews a little bit more uh, on the male's favor but i have um a lot of stats that actually like things like graphic novels um, and comic books uh, and manga and such, those sales have all increased quite a bit in recent years. Um, and that suggests that there is a desire. Now, those are visual media. Those are what we call them partially visual mediums, right? When we're dealing with uh, comic books, essentially. Uh, but there is a desire to read. And, you know, what you just pointed out, like if you, if you gave someone the, the right kind of book, uh, when they were a kid, perhaps, then uh, they might take to reading. They might be willing to try to get over the inertia that it takes to start reading and to enjoy it. Uh, now, when you say the right books, um, do you have like do you have anything in mind as a as a good example of like what is it that you think would would help uh, younger men realize that they actually might enjoy reading more? Um, and if nothing comes to mind. Uh, or if other, or if this question comes to mind, you can answer it. Um, what is it that is given to them instead of what should be, that is turning them away? Probably in 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 school, right? So what what would could we give them, or what is it that are be being given that's driving them away? 
Um, yeah, I mean, I think probably school reading is a lot of it. And, you know, because you're just reading, you know, whatever your assignment is, it's, you know, there's probably some uh, fiction books, but they're, you know, the the fiction books that you're supposed to read in school. So, like, you know, Lord of the Flies and 1984 or whatever, whatever the books that you read are. I haven't been in school in a while. I was also homeschooled for high school, so I didn't do any of that. Um, but uh, most of those are like they're considered classics, but like a lot of people, they're just not enjoyable for most people to read. They're not, it's not entertainment. And so I think if you give someone a book that was written with like basically the sole intent of being very entertaining, um, that that's going to probably work much better. Um, and I think specifically with guys, I would probably um, try giving them something like uh, the Cradle series. Are you familiar with that, Will White? I'm not. Describe it for me. Okay, so it's it's I guess it's not really a lit RPG. It's like progression fantasy, um, which is you know where a big focus of the plot is the characters becoming stronger and that's generally physically stronger, but usually there's like magic involved in some way. So maybe he's, maybe they're becoming a more powerful mage. Um, and so the progression of those kind of stories is, you know, you start in book one, the character is either like at zero or like even like negative one or something, but essentially they're, they're like the weakest you could be. And you follow them as they get stronger and stronger in a very video game style way. And then you get to book whatever the last book is, and they are like a god or whatever. And I think that specific sort of progression is very interesting to uh, the male mind much more than the female. And because it's very plot-focused, it's very much about, um, I guess, I guess I, I would say it's kind of like the male, the male fantasy is of, you know, climbing the hierarchy, the physical hierarchy, or the competence hierarchy, um, where you are becoming, you you start you start off at the bottom and you you slowly become more competent or more powerful than the other guy, and then the other guy and then the other guy until eventually you are the the top dog. You're the alpha, right? And I think that specific sort of arc is super appealing to guys, and it's very interesting to them. They just the guys like to know we like to know where we are on the hierarchy of. Uh, like physicality, like there's another guy we we're th we're thinking, you know, could I take him in a fight or would he beat me? Um, <laughs> yeah, and so, all you listeners who happen to not be dummy men, if we have any female listeners out there, that is absolutely the the case. Like at least once a day, if there are other human beings uh, around, there's like two men. The men are thinking, can I take that guy? Like that's just a thought that happens. So Timo is not exaggerating. <laughs> um, 
so yeah, I think I, I've been digressing a little bit, but basically that's that's what I would do is give them something. If they're a non-reader, I would give them something like that because one, the books are very short, very fast-paced. I think the first book is like 80,000 words. Um, so, well, short for a fantasy book. <laughs> I guess that's... Depending on what you're used to, that might sound long, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, so that it's very short for a fantasy book, very fast-paced, and like I said, with that sort of progression arc of like your character he's like he's getting stronger he's improving himself like with each book and you know he's striving to get to the top kind of thing yeah that makes sense right so what would appeal to a young male reader is um what you described there essentially is a a kind of mythological map as how one progresses, right? So it's like, how is it that you come to rise in the dominance hierarchy or the, you know, how, uh, if it, I'm, I'm quite the Nietzschean, so I'd say, okay, as a man, you really want to be able to fulfill your will to power. You want to be able to act in the world and affect something around you so that you are an effectual male, effective male, right? You want to, and, and if you read a story that shows you a character going through that progression, you have this kind of, model that you can emulate and then that can it tells you like okay what is it that i need to do oh, okay, i need to cultivate bravery i need to go do hard things i need to pick up heavy objects right i have to put myself in danger sometimes when people are too afraid to do it uh, explore the unknown do all those things i think there's yeah. another yeah, yeah go ahead go ahead oh, i was just gonna say like i think like most of those sort of progression fantasy type series they do I think they hit on a lot of like those points, like you said, like they require the main character to um, practice, you know, bravery to practice going out of their comfort zone repeatedly to to have to like physically train over and over again to do hard things that are uncomfortable. Like all of that stuff, I think, is also a big part of why it's so appealing to guys um is that it's it's sort of all this package of all this stuff that in real life you sort of have to deal with as you become a mature man is sort of all these things that 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 are part of this these kind of stories yeah and and you know we mentioned what they give you instead um i think perhaps lord of flies isn't so bad there's a lot of action and like murder, but also they stopped giving. By the time I was in school, they they stopped people reading Lord of the Flies. So um, that's been gone for a while. Uh, definitely 1984 is is too heady. It's too, I think, political to be giving to a young man. But something that they used to have kids read, I have on my shelf that every that is exactly the description of what you went through is uh, the Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. You can kind of throw the Adventures of Tom Sawyer in there too, but Huckleberry Finn does it does it in spades where uh have you had a chance to to read through those uh adventures of huckleberry finn i'm pretty sure i read them but it has been a long time ago and i can barely remember so i'll throw a reminder at you then right so it, it fits exactly what you're talking about where the essentially after um huck gets on the river it's very episodic. Like every new town he goes to is a different adventure. So you have that kind of, um, you know, short burst effect that you were describing. 
it's always like Huck going out and doing something in this new location um, because he has stuff that needs to get done. Like he needs food. He needs to make sure he has shelter. He's got to freaking figure out what to do with Jim. And half the time he's trying to like work with these charlatans and figure out how he can rip them off because he knows they're trying to rip him off. Right. So you have this very goal oriented behavior, self-directed goal oriented behavior that manifests really in Huck's independence, right? He becomes from a dependent boy under the, um, let's say, thumb of an old woman, and then under the boot heel of his drunken father, he manages his own escape, um, gets the tools that he needs, and then lives out basically on his own. Like He's not dependent on Jim. If anything, he's the one taking care of Jim and not the other way around. And I think that's really one, one of the kind of stories where you see someone um, come out of that childhood dependency state into a full-fledged state where you can ha- you can be the person who has dependence. I think there's another kind of story, though, um, where you get to see the full-fleshed-out, uh, let's say, heroic archetype, right? So uh, have you had a chance to read the old uh, Conan stories from Robert E. Howard? Um, I think I read like one or two a couple of years back. Just I have very vague memories of it. So, yeah, well, it, it's 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 fine. Uh, for those of you listening who haven't read them, you have heard me. My our listeners will have heard me bring this up over and over and over again. But they are actually uh, magnificent for two reasons. One is that they do not in any sense shy away from being extremely um, plot-oriented. Like, Conan is already Conan. And the stories take place out of chronological order. So wherever you encounter Conan, he's he might be a different state of Conan, like where he is in his life, but he's always like the giant, brooding, Sumerian, barbarian warrior uh, from, uh, I think, uh, Hyperborea. Right, like he's from the far, far, un, you know, untamed northern lands. Um, so, like he, he's always that guy. That guy. He's always built like a tank. Uh, you know, quick to anger. Uh, let's say, yeah. So he's always him, and that's one element that I think we don't see as much of. We see it sometimes, but I think it, oftentimes it's. It's not executed as well. And the execution, I think, is the other element that I that I think gets overlooked. I mentioned uh, when I was like selling my my um, editing service, uh, the style guide service, that I want to encourage people to write a little bit more like uh, sometimes like the classics, but also like the pulps. So. Um, if you will afford me this, I'm going to grab my giant collection of Conan stories off the shelf. Give me like literally two seconds. All right, back. There is a uh, a famous opening to, uh, I believe it's the Tower of the Elephant, that will exemplify exactly what I'm talking about. Um, that I think will appeal mostly to actually male readers and not as much to female readers. Let's see. I can pull up page 79 here in my gigantic 800-page tome. Let's see. Yeah, here it is. 
So forgive me, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to, if, if you will, I'm going to read from this directly. And um, you can tell me, I want you to listen, Timo, and tell me if you pick up on, uh, let's say, what is being focused on in terms of the, the perspective of the narrator, right, that might appeal to men, particularly. Torches flared murkily on the revels in the mall where the thieves of the East held carnival by night. In the mall they could carouse and roar as they liked, for honest people shunned the quarter, and watchmen, well paid with stained coins, did not interfere with their sport. Along the crooked, unpaved streets, with their heaps of refuse and sloppy puddles, drunken roisterers staggered roaring. Steel glinted in the shadows where wolf preyed on wolf and from the darkness rose the shrill laughter of women and the sounds of scufflings and strugglings. Torchlight licked luridly from broken windows and wide-thrown doors, and out these doors stale smells of wine and rank sweaty bodies, clamor of drinking jacks and fists hammered on rough tables, snatches of obscene songs rushed like a blow in the face. All right. Anything stand out there to you, Timo? So that's a gigantic reading. Um, I mean, I, I think it was a really good sort of descriptive opening. Really, kind of gives you like this Im image of this part of the city. Is it a city or yeah, where, yeah wherever, it wherever it is? Um, of this like very uh not not good part of the city basically yeah you can almost see it right yeah yeah you you definitely at least for me i definitely like get, kind of get flashes of like uh, visuals of what what it's like which i think yeah. is a sign of obviously skilled writing it, it's not just skilled it is very skilled by the way like that that opening paragraph to that particular story is uh Apparently, I didn't know this until after I'd shown it to a bunch of people because I was so impressed with it that everyone who's ever read it <laughs> is super impressed with it. Um, but I think it's it's particularly male-oriented. Uh, I didn't recognize that until you had, you know, until our conversation, but then it occurred to me uh, that that paragraph, not only is it visual, but do you notice how much action there is in the description? Right? So... Um, well, I've still got this book open. So we describe this place as a shunned quarter. That's a you know, it's it's a place that is shunned. So to shun a thing is an action. The watchmen are paid off, right? The uh, so we've got the crooked watchmen along with these crooked alleys. Um, so there's sport going on, which we know is thievery and rape and murder. Um, the the torchlight is licking, luridly, right? So that there's. Uh, a kind of it's not exactly personification, but something akin to it uh, with the with the light. Um, we give there's so much active voice, right? Um, like the steel is glinting. Uh, wolves are preying on wolves. So we've got that metaphor uh, describing the actions that go on here. But it almost feels like it's happening right then and there. It's this great swell of um, of visual description. But the subjectivity of it is uh, action-focused, and I think that in particular 
is something that is uh, is missing from like male or missing from a lot of writing uh, to this day. Like, uh, have you ever uh, had the misfortune? It's not really a misfortune, but have you ever gotten a chance to participate in something like a writer's workshop? Uh, no, I've never really had much desire to do that. So no, I've never. You never you probably that. would not like it, <laughs> because what uh, what ends up happening in those is um, everyone gets pressured into writing in the same kind of uh, modern unoffensive way. What do I mean by unoffensive? I mean that it, it's sort of like, you know, when someone paints their house and they use really neutral colors, because if you like, you, you want your house to just appeal to as many people as possible. So you make it bland. So instead of really making it appealing, you just make it unoffensive, right? Like that's, that ends up being the goal. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, when you do a workshop, that ends up being what, what happens to your work is that all these um, you get all these different people and in order for them all to be essentially satisfied, you, you start to take away the stylistic elements, but actually, um, those stylistic elements, right? The boldness of the description, the vividness, the richness, perhaps some might even say overwroughtness is exactly what gave that particular scene all its value to like a young man, right? Like you can't, like you can't be the the standard literary minimalist writer and write that scene. You just can't do it. Um, I don't know. What do you think of that proposition? That uh, it actually might be in part the way that not even what people are writing, but the way that they're writing that makes uh, let's say a lot of modern books uh, unappealing to to male readers, or a lot of even modern. Uh, not even modern, but just just a lot of stories written in that style, unappealing to male readers. Oh, uh, yeah, it could be. I'm. Um, it's hard to say for sure. I, I don't know. I have I have to think about it because I mean. I think generally guys are going to not care as much about prose, whether the prose is, you know, more fancy or more basic, like they are going to be more interested in the story itself. Like what's happening? What is it? What's the character doing? Who's he fighting? Like that kind of thing. So I, I, I'm not sure if it's, if like the prose style or whether you're very unique or whether you're fitting in with what most people write is as much of a concern for most guys maybe it is but my that that's my thought is that guys probably don't care that much about the presentation yeah, I mean that fits your experience. Fits my experience. Um, you know that not, uh, me listening to you say it, I'm thinking of the people who I know, like the men who do read, and they don't even know what the word prose means. Most of them. Uh, yeah, yeah, like that's right. they don't they don't uh, they're not thinking that deeply about it. Like they just are like, what's the story about? What happened? Like, you know, who's who's the main character? You know, 
What uh, what does the magic do? Like, what are his abilities? What are his limits? You know, it's it's about like the um, yeah, like the the reality of the <laughs> the reality of the fictional world. Yeah, I usually call that the content as opposed to the composition, right? Like the content yeah. side of things. Um, I, I wonder well, though. I'll... Oh, go ahead, T- go ahead, Timo. I, I was just going to say that's. I think that's kind of the way that I approach writing. Is I, I, I think I've gotten, I've develop, I develop more of probably my own style the more that I write. But I generally focus pretty hard on I want to have this is the content I want in the book and I'm not trying to present it fancily I'm trying to present it clearly basically <laughs> um so my writing is not I don't think anyone would accuse me of being a, a flowery writer at all well clarity is definitely uh important right if you've got like purple prose and you've got clear clothes and the purple prose is unclear, like terribly unclear, uh, then you can't read it. And that's no good. Um, though I, I do wonder because my experience has not just been with men being more content conscious. Uh, most readers, I think, actually are like even even women readers are more um, content conscious than they are composition conscious. Um now, I will say that of the people who are more composition conscious, more of them do tend to be women, but they tend to be in the minority, even still of readers I've come across. Now, this leads me back to uh, some statistics I have up here. I was looking at basically levels of education um, and like how many people read. And essentially, it... Um, it it bell curves where you've got like the the most numbers of people with some level of uh, college or university experience being most of the numbers. But if you look at the percentages, it just hikes up. Like so, if it goes from grade school, it's like um, I think like fourteen percent, and then uh, once you're at some high school, it's twenty three point four. Then once you, if you finished high school, the relative proportion of readers of people who finish high school, it's like 37.7. If you have some university or some college, 52.9, that goes up to 63.1. And then um, once you've been to grad school, it's like 74.3. So basically three quarters of people who finish grad school read on a regular basis. So there's a, there's a strong link to education. And you might ask like, well, what the hell does that mean? Like, why is that relevant? And I think it might be relevant um, because I think that how educated one is is probably more tightly linked to how much they are going to care about the composition side of the piece. And I also think it's going to skew just how p- often people read in general. And um, I don't have the stats on it, uh, and tell me if you've heard differently, but my understanding is that in terms of educational performance, boys and men um, have been on a downward trend for a while now. This has been probably at least a couple decades. Have you had? Do you know of any any difference, or has that been? Uh, is that your knowledge as well? Yeah, I believe that's right. I think that at this point, and I don't know for 
for what all levels, but I think men are performing worse on almost in almost every like area now in education, um, men and boys than women and girls. Um, yeah, I'm wondering yeah, if I'm that's pretty sure that I'm pretty sure that applies to like college age, but I think it probably also goes down to like high school and maybe middle school as well. Yeah, well, particularly if we're talking about reading, because I know girls, like, all you have to do is, like, I used to work at, like, a YMCA, and you get a group of, like, seven-year-old little girls, and they can, like, have a conversation, and you have a seven-year-old little boy, and he, he can understand you, but he, and he can talk just fine, but he'll hardly say anything and just run around like a maniac, right? Like, um, girls develop their language skills a lot, young girls, a lot faster, and then boys kind of catch up as they... Uh, move toward adolescence but not not that fast um and so i think yet that effect would be even all the way down in elementary and and uh middle school and such and even in high school and that kind of opens us up to you know these bigger questions because it very well may be that in order for men to enjoy now maybe i'm wrong on this right uh let's because this is contingent upon uh, me being correct that there is some type of um, particular male appreciation of prose when executed correctly because of its ability to, let's say, evoke action and imagery and impart uh, that kind of objectivity in a in a deeper way. But in order to care about that, I've noticed that one needs a higher and higher degree of education, right? Like if it's, and I don't mean to say that like, the person who's more educated is smarter, but you kind of have to be it's it's kind of like an acquired taste like once you've been forced through enough education you start to notice it and then once you notice it you can't unnotice it and then you care about it right like if you're forced to uh to drink black coffee uh, a lot of people say this in the military drink black coffee there and then they got out and it's like well i just kept doing it because that's what we did um and they they got used to it and so i think actually it very well may be part of the reason that men are underserved aside from stylistic trends it might be this weird second second to men being failed in education so they're not you know not succeeding as well in education and that means they're not going to read as much and then what they do read um, is going to become even more focused on content and even less focused on composition but one of the aspects that men would actually be able to enjoy in literature in particular because it's like a non-visual um, medium is in the imagery evoked through the prose that they need the education to see and appreciate. And so they've kind of got this like, uh, like pincer against them, right? Or they're being, uh, having cut off at the knees from enjoying the thing that now is not being given to them because they're not buying it because they got cut off at the knees. Um, does that cycle sound valid to you or am I, you think I'm stretching a little bit? Uh, I mean, it's definitely possible. I, yeah, I think like if you so you're going to enjoy reading less if you know like every single page you come across a word that you don't know what it means cuz then you're stopping the story and trying to figure out what it means or whatever. Um so that I think that kind of thing definitely could be happening. Um I don't know how much that might contribute to 
guys not enjoying it. Um, I mean, I think, like I said, you know, at the very beginning, like you're always going to have this problem where guys are just, we're more visual, we're more kinetic. You know, we, we tend to prefer actually moving our bodies around more than, you know, sitting down for an hour and reading. Um, we, we have more trouble uh, sitting down for a long time and not doing anything as well. I mean, I'm like that, even though, you know, I like science fiction and fantasy. I still have trouble sitting down for a long time and reading. Um, and so I think we, we could... We could try to figure out all these other things that are happening, um, and there definitely, I think, probably are other factors as well, but I think the biggest factors are always going to be those things. So so that's always going to be, I think, the main reason why you have less guys reading. Yeah. Um, it, 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 it almost seems like a, like a, a stimulation issue, but before I dive into there, Timo, um, do you have a hard out time, or do we have a few more minutes to continue? Uh, we can go for a few more minutes. Okay, yeah, because I, I think this will be the, the last bit, because I definitely agree with you. Like myself, um, I've cultivated quite a bit of discipline, but if I hadn't, but even then, um, I find myself only able to focus in short bursts. Like I can make myself sit and work, but my performance goes down very fast. My ability to focus, like I can't, re I can't even read for more than an hour usually in a sitting. It's it's like it's rare um, that I'm able to do that, despite the fact that I, I try and focus and I, I build up my time. So if someone's not, you know, practicing that, like, what's the chance that they're going to be able to do it? And that's I think that is male focus. That's more kinetic. But I notice there are times when um, hyperactive, even like ADHD levels, hyperactivity, men and boys do sit for many, many hours at a time. And uh, these two are these. It's really one circumstance, and it's when they're given a ton of stimulation. And the ways that I see this, one or two ways, either it's pharmacological, gives them Ritalin, which is like giving a kid speed, a hyper stimulant, in order to suppress his play response to calm him down. Another way that was effective with me when I was a kid is video games, because video games are a high stimulus. Um, stimulus, right? Like you, when you play a game, like you could take a kid with ADHD and they can play video games for hours and hours and hours with hyper focus. And I think it's because they are stimulus seeking. That's why they want to move, right? Because they want to have all the stimulation. I think that that's fundamentally biologically what's driving it. Why am I bringing that up? Well, I'm bringing that up because I actually, I think that there are, there needs to be in a book, like if you're a young man and you want to enjoy a book, the way the book should be written in a way should be very stimulating. Now, that's harder to do with words than it is with images. Images are kind of instantaneous, multitudes of stimulation that you get all at once. Um, you know, video games, you have the input that you're putting in plus the visual element. And then with, you know, audio on top of that, you have a lot you're working with. So it's going to always be harder. I don't think literature is ever going to really match it in terms of the sheer amount, but you do want to have a lot of it. And then that makes me ask, well, what does it mean to provide a number of stimuli um, in fiction? 
Um, and I guess that's where I'll, th- I'll pass the, the baton back to you for our, our final uh, burrow of inquiry here. You know, your, your target audience is, is probably more male oriented, uh, given the, the work of yours that I've had the chance to read. Um, I wouldn't doubt that. I think probably a lot of that is the stimulation, like how, what type of, um, points of interest, if we don't want to use the word stimulation, cause that's probably less clear, what points of interest do you, you poke at in particular that when you think your reader reads it, that pulls them, like, you know, if they have that constant will to pull away, what little bits are in there that pull them back in for like page after page? Um, I think it, um, I think one thing that works really well, and I think this works on like any reader, you know, guy or girl, is a mystery, um, specifically a sort of big mystery. And what I mean by big is like related to the whole of the of the of the novel of the story um rather than like you know the mystery of you know where did i put my keys that's that's only really going to be related to maybe one chapter or something but if you have some sort of big mystery which essentially equates to some question that the reader is going to have and you continue to give a little bit more then the reader is not only has the the question about the mystery but they have they are getting little bits of an answer and the, that little bits of an answer is sort of feeding their continuous appetite to know. And so they're being driven on to continue reading because they, they're, they're, they're wanting to know what's the, what's the final answer at the very end. Um, I think that is an extremely strong um, technique for keeping people reading or i guess in terms of the question keeping them stimulated um but you're really keeping them interested is what you're doing um i think another thing like this is more specifically for guys is always having an obstacle that your characters are dealing with um if you think about video games pretty much every video game works in that it is constantly presenting you with obstacles that you are having to overcome. Um, and now you can, obviously you can think of uh, exceptions, but that's, that's how most video game design works. And so that keeps you constantly, it keeps your focus constant because your focus has to be there because you're always dealing with, you know, the next bad guy that you have to go beat up or whatever the game is about. Um, and so it, it you know, in a story, you don't have to just constantly be throwing bad guys at the main character, but it can be some sort of con- uh, some sort of obstacle that they're dealing with, whether it's you know physically fighting someone or an actual literal obstacle like a mountain they have to climb over, or whether it's a problem, some specific problem that they have to solve. Like, I think if you're constantly giving that you know I, you're pacing your story so that there's there's always some obstacle that they are dealing with that like they in that chapter they have to deal with kind of thing that i think that 
kind of does what you're asking, which is, you know, stimulating the the reader, um, sort of keeping him focused, like on okay, this is the thing. This the character has to do this thing right now, and there's a consequence if they don't. Um, like a clear clear consequence if they don't. And so I need to I need to get through the chapter to figure out, and then of course you get through the chapter to the next chapter, and then they have another obstacle. I think that that sort of writing is probably going to do the job the best, I think, at least for how most guys' um, minds work. Yeah, that reminds me of something at a professor at grad school. He called them mini-mysteries. But really, uh, what, the way that you presented them as obstacles is like mini-conflicts. And I like mini-conflicts or obstacles a, a lot better in this context because what we're saying is we have to have lots of questions in which something is at stake, right? So uh, what interest, and that is true, that's going to interest readers in general, but I think that definitely is going to interest the male mind for that reason we talked about way at the beginning, about men are interested in objects, what's going to work, what's not going to work, what's going to give me the results that I want, or what's going to make a bad thing happen, right? So those are the stakes. As soon as you involve stakes in the question, in the mystery, in the conflict, in the obstacle, it becomes an objective problem. And I think that that, uh, well, that that's really what the plot is, right? You have a whole bunch of those until you hit the climax of the story and then it, it, it resolves. And so, um, yeah, for for any of, uh, any of you who are writing toward a particularly male, particularly uh, young-ish, but for really, this is probably applicable universally across men, uh, audience, you got to have let's say, clear stakes and um, some type of conflict where those, you know, the stakes are going to come to roost if, if something's not done. Uh, you know, uh, there needs, the characters need to be called to action, if you will, um, whether that be in a hero's journey or uh, in a particular adventure of the hero himself, the archetype of the hero himself. Um, so, yeah. All right, Timo, uh, that was a super interesting conversation. We actually came to some revelations um, that I wasn't expecting there. Uh, I hope you I hope you enjoyed yourself and readers, or readers, uh, listeners. I hope you enjoyed yourselves as well. Um, before we go, uh, I will send you again to wildislet.com where you can check out all my stuff. I've got my novel there. Uh, so if you're a young man, you want to read a novel. Mine are not as action-packed as Timo's. You might want to start with Timo's. So um, uh, I've had a fun time reading The Black Saint. You could start there. It's got all that stuff on Kindle. I'm sure he'll redirect you there uh, here in a second. Uh, and while you're at my website, uh, if you happen to not be one of those young men and you want to read something slow and ponderous, I've got tons of stuff on my blog, uh, particularly about philosophy. I've got my editing service here if you're an author. And all the rest of the podcasts are on there too. Some are on just uh, life stuff. Some are on philosophy. Some are on writing like this one. Uh, and I would really very much enjoy it if you were to give them a listen. Let me know what you think. Uh, if you're on YouTube, throw stuff down in the comments. Uh, Timo, go ahead and let everyone know where they can follow you. And um, you know, re reiterate the title at least of your new book, if not your other books, or other stories as well that you've got on Kindle. What you know, where what's your stuff? Where can they get it? Uh, yeah, probably easiest way. Um, if you want to get my books, is you go on Amazon. You can type in my name, Tim Burnham, um, and it should pull up my books at least somewhere on the first page. You can also search my newest book. It's called Dawn of the Black Saint. Uh, sorry. Dawn of the Black Sun, 
Um, that's S-U-N, not S-O-N. Um, that's the name of my newest book. It is fast-paced, action-packed. Um, it is, follows a, a main character who's a young boy as he kind of forcefully takes his journey into manhood. Um, first steps, this is a series, so there'll be more books. So yeah, um, go on Amazon, look up Dawn of the Black Sun if you want to read my stuff. Any uh, social medias you want to pitch? Uh, yeah, if you, you want to follow me, you can follow me on Twitter or on Minds. Um, both of them are my name, Tim O'Burnham. Uh, T-I-M-O-B-U-R-N-H-A-M. You search that, you should find me. So, yeah, that's about it. All right, well, thank you very much, Timo. You guys go follow him, pick up his work, read his stuff. It's good stuff. Um, you can find a review of the black scene on my website if you're curious and, and, and aren't ready to dive in, but you should just dive in, go and pick up Timo's work. And uh, thank you, Timo, so much. And hopefully we have served all those underserved young men and that we continue to do so in our writing. Um, not trying to exclude anybody out there, any of the ladies listening, but uh, yeah. All right. Thank you guys. Um, I hope to see you on the next one.